because I was doing sets and costumes in the mm -hmm. theatre, and I enjoyed doing it, but I was gravitating more towards costumes. I, I, was, I seemed to be better and enjoy costumes more. Um, I don't know, I just suddenly thought I would like to tr try doing film. There was a film director whose work I'd seen called Derek Jarman, and I somehow got his phone number and phoned him up and said, do you want to come and see a show that I designed with kind of extravagant costumes? So he came to see the show at a small venue in London. And again, he took me under his wing and gave me my first film about a year after, during which time he made me, he introduced me to the world of pop videos. And that's how I, that's how I actually started by doing pop videos, which is like doing mini films, like yeah. three minute films. But it's the same process, but a, a short, intense period of time. The research process is pretty much the same on every film or project depending, I mean, regardless of what period it is. With this film in particular, I, I did start by looking at all the Cinderella's I could find. Just to, I mean, not that I wanted to do it like, I mean, just to see what everyone else had done and then try and forget about it, you know what I mean? And then I am, um, we had to sort of decide what period it was set and it's not set in a, it's a fairy tale, so it's not set in any specific period. So I decided it should be in the, and originally the director gave me that choice. He said, well, what period do you think would look good? And I decided that the 19th century, sort of all over the 19th century, would be a good look. And it's kind of traditional fairy tale period. It's a good shape for all the men, because I mean, obviously Cinderella's about the girl and the girls, but then there's a bunch of men in it and they all have to look good too. And I think for me, the 19th century is quite a good look for men. So then I look, I research the 19th century completely. Um, and then I also go wider than that. I also look at other periods and I also look at contemporary fashion a lot and I use contemporary fashion for almost every every job I do there's always some idea or inspiration you can get from what's happening in the fashion world today I mean and of course all fashion designers look at period uh, and vintage stuff as inspiration anyway so we all nick ideas from each other all the time that's that's generally how the research goes I, mean, I always start with colour. It's kind of the first thing, if I'm reading something and I know who the actors are, I, I actually think of colour before I think of shape or items for some reason, it's just what I do. And I do think of colour in terms of character or a bunch of characters together or a bunch of colours together in a scene. So I have my own ideas of what those colours should be. And then, yes, you, you do have to work closely with the production designer and his set decorator. And the set decorator is probably the person you talk to more than the production designer because the set decorator is the one that does the interiors. The set decorator chooses the curtains and the wallpaper and the carpet and, you know what I mean, any, 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 any other colour that you'd see around. So mm -hmm. you, you just sort of go and see what their ideas are or they, in, in Cinderella, the set decorator would come to me to ask what colour I was doing the, the, um, the palace staff, the palace guards and all the rest of it. And then they did heraldry and flags and things that worked with that, or the ball scene, the curtains, would, she wanted to know what the colour scheme was for that, and so, so that it doesn't look horrible. Mm -hmm. That's if you're lucky. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you might even be in a different country to the production designer. I mean, you can sort of communicate, obviously, now but by email, but uh, sometimes it's happy accidents. It's not exactly auditioning, but you have, you, <laughs> you have meetings. I mean, if you're asked to do a job quite often, well, certainly at the beginning of your career anyway, Quite often they'll, they'll be interviewing. You interview for a job, basically. You don't have to pitch, you don't have to audition, but you, inter you go to interview and you meet the director and the producers and they decide whether they like you or the best person for the job, or, but they might be meeting three or four other people, then they have to decide. So <clears throat> at the beginning of my career, there was a lot of that. Now I'm a bit luckier in that sometimes I just get, will you do the job? You know, I just get asked to do the job. I mean, still on, on really big things, sometimes it's, it's between a couple of people 
so you interview. And you interview anyway. I mean, even if I was offered a job straight away, I'd still want to have an interview because I want to know that I want to do the job. I want to go and meet the director and the producer and decide whether it's the right job for me as well. So, I mean, I like to work with the same team because obviously um, the longer you've known somebody, the better relationship you have and you build up and that you <clears throat> it just is so much easier because you have a shorthand. If, you, if, you, if somebody knows what I like and my taste and my style, it's much easier for them to, to work for me, either assist me or make for me, and vice versa. It's so much easier to use the same people, but it doesn't always happen. Because, um, like for instance, if I do a job and I've got my, my team with me and then I decide not to work for six months or you know, I have to go to America to work, if I go to America to work, those st people still have to do a job, then they work with another designer. And then when I come back, they might not be available. So. You know, quite often I've lost some of my best people to other designers and I get really cross. I get possessive about my, my team. And it's actually getting on with people. You know, actually you've got to get on with who I don't like. I mean, I like a department that has fun. I mean, I like to have fun when I go to work. Others, there's no point because it's, it's too hard a job to not have fun while you're doing it. And you have to make too many sacrifices. You have to give up your life for the duration. I need to be surrounded by people who I like. Um, so that's really important. And talented people and people who... Um, I don't know, it's about, it's about chemistry really, actually. And then having said that it's great to work with the same people, sometimes when you're forced to work with somebody else, you can make a happy discovery. You know, and it's actually always good to have new blood around. <clears throat> I mean, if it's a director I've worked with a lot, like there's a director I've worked with in America called Tante Haynes, who, you know, I'm really good friends with. And so we, you know, you generally discuss, you might be talking about if they haven't cast somebody yet, and I will always offer up ideas, but it doesn't necessarily follow. But on the last film I did with him, and our main characters were 12 year olds actually. And then he, um, he would send me the audition tapes. I'd say, say it was between five kids, which it did. He'd say, what do you think? Which one do you like the best? I mean, he asked a few other people as well. So I wish I was involved because you do have really strong ideas about you know, who, I mean, I always cast it in my head as to who would be you know, really great, but it doesn't necessarily follow. I don't think I can, I always say I can't design a costume until I know who the actor is. I can't design just for a character, unless it's a cartoon character. I mean, you, no, I can't just design for, you know, you, can have an, you read a script and you have an idea for a character, there might even be a description in the script. And quite honestly, when there's descriptions in scripts of what people are wearing, I tend to take that with a pinch of salt, because most often writers don't know what they're talking about when it comes to clothes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and if you actually followed what the writer said, it could be <laughs> completely wrong. But um, I can have an idea of what I think the character is, but then, it, it could be cast and it could be completely not the physical type I was thinking of. Um, so I like to see, at least know who they are and in an ideal world meet them first before even designing anything. Um, because, it, it, you know, everything about them, it, it sort of is how they are, how they move, their colouring and their own feelings about their character are really are important factors. I like every, every period when I'm doing it. I mean, there might, there might be a period I think, oh, that's a bit ugly, I don't want to do that. But then as soon as you start research and looking into it, you get into it. And there's always something new to learn. So even when I've done a period once, I always look forward to doing it again, to do all the things I didn't do in the, in the first thing. It's, you know, there's not one period that I like more than others. There are some actors that I like working with, like Kate Blanchett, because, you know, you can't, you can't make Kate Blanchett look bad. It's pretty <laughs> Well, you probably could. You'd have to work really hard at making her look bad if she had to be mm. look bad. But um, some actors are really easy to work with. And that's not just because she looks 
because yeah, she's good looking, it's because she's, um, she really understands about clothes. She's an intelligent woman, obviously. And she understands the process. She understands about wearing them. She, un she knows how to sell it. I mean, sometimes you dress an actor and they just sort of stand there. Uh, you know, for the photo, you do, you do a fitting, you do a fitting photograph and they just sort of stand there. Whereas Kate will strike a pose that is suitable for the costume and then you've got a really great fitting picture that you then go and show your director to sell the design. Basically, that's what you do. You go and sell the look to the director. On the whole, with the principles, I like to design and make everything. But having said that, you might find, I mean, quite often, <clears throat> you might find the perfect thing and try it on. In, in this particular film, Carol, which was set in 1952, I did have access to original clothing. Rooney Mara wears quite a lot of original pieces of clothing. So what I do is I amass that, I rent things that I like. I, do per I did do purchase, that was made in America, and America's a lot easier for, for vintage clothes shopping because it's bigger. And then I just try stuff on the actor. You know, I have a whole pile of things and you start the first fittings by trying things on. And then sometimes you put something on and it's perfect. You think, there you are, that's it. So in this particular case, everything that Rudy Mara was wearing was rented. But everything that Kate was wearing was, was made. And that's also because Rune is much smaller than Kate and fits into old clothes. And Kate is, is taller and broader. So on the whole, I had to make everything for her. But if, if I find the perfect thing, I'll use it. But on the whole, I tend to make all the principles. And another reason you have to make principles is that depending on the job is that you normally need to have double, you need to have multiples of outfits. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but if anything happens, like if, if, there, if there is a scene where somebody gets thrown into a swimming pool, you shoot that several times and every time they get out, they've got to change into a clean version. So you have to have <coughs> five, six, seven, eight of the same things. The only way you can do that is by making it, unless it's a contemporary film and then you can you know, buy more if it's something you can buy. But if it's a period film, you have to make everything. Or if some, somebody gets shot, or if somebody's running and instead the person running over there, or if the person over there on a horse is not the actor, it's a stunt person, you've got to make the exact same costume for them too, which is why generally you have to make everything. It depends on the scale of the film. Um, Cinderella, I started prepping the round jar, it was about, it was a year altogether. I started prepping in January and we finished filming in December. And that was about a four month, I mean, that was a very, very long prep, but then I had to do an awful lot of development. We, I mean, it took a long time to do the ball gown and the glass shoe because <coughs> I knew, <coughs> excuse me, that was the first thing I did because I knew that was gonna be the most important thing. And then Disney also need it for franchising purposes and it has to go, it has to be approved by so many people. But on um, smaller scale projects like Carol, the last one, um, I think I had 10 weeks, 10 to 12 weeks prep before we start shooting. But then that's, but even when we're shooting, you're still designing and making things for, for scenes coming up later. So anything from, anything from two months to six months prep usually. And then you, and then you don't stop. I mean, you, generally you're, you're still creating right the way through the shoot. Mistakes. I'm sure I've made plenty and continue to do so. I mean, I wish I could, oh dear. I've got them, but they're embarrassing. <laughs> it's how you learn. I mean, you know, we make mistakes the whole time and, and, and that's what it's for. It's about learning, learning from the mistakes. And I can't, it's very, I wish I could think of a good example. I will tell you, okay, I'm not gonna mention names, but I did do a really embarrassing thing once. <coughs> it was a film where, um, 
It was a contemporary film, and I'd bought uh, an, an outfit for an actress that was one I couldn't actually really afford on my budget. I had a very limited budget, but I really wanted her to wear this particular outfit. Right. And I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll buy at half price at the end, because quite often if, you know, they, they, the film like to get rid of the things at the end and make some money, so you can buy things half price. So I thought, I'll buy at half price at the end, therefore I can afford it on my budget and I get a half price outfit that I like at the end. I thought, great. And the thing is, the actress was slightly bigger than me. And so what I did was at the end of the film, and it wasn't quite, we hadn't quite finished shooting, we had another week to go. I actually thought, oh, we finished with that. And I had it taken up. I literally had the skirt taken up, the jacket taken in to fit me. I thought, great, I've got my new outfit for Christmas. And then it transpired that we hadn't finished with it. And there was an <laughs> and we had to shoot another scene with the actress in the suit that had to be direct continuity before. And that was a big mistake. And, and, and you know, I should, you should have to keep looking at the schedule. You have to keep going over things. You can't be complacent and think, I know what we're doing. Um, that was a bad mistake. <laughs> and I learned never to do it again. And I got in trouble. But, <laughs> but we, uh, we actually solved the problem because the, the actual scene was, I mean, luckily the scene was in a restaurant, so she was sat at a table and we couldn't see the thing. But it was, it was a moment of real embarrassment and a really bad mistake. Yeah, the budget's crucial. I mean, the budget really is an interesting thing to talk about. Um, when, you, when you start a project, you're given a budget. The, the line producer will say, this is how much we've put in your budget. And then you look at it and laugh and you go, well, no. I, but then they just make up a number. They just pluck a number based on a similar film, you know, that someone else has done. And that's how much money the costume department had. So then what I do when I start, and I usually work with my supervisor or an assistant, is that you read the script, you break it down, you work out how many costumes there are that you have to make, how many costumes you have to rent. And then you, I do the budget. So I then go back to them and say, and there's generally, there's generally a number, you know, a figure that you put into, if you're making a leading lady in, you know, whatever, there's, there's an amount that you'd put in for a period costume, regardless of what the fabric is, and you put in the amount of money to have it made, and dyed and broken down and all the things that have to, have to happen to make the costume finished. You then go back to production and say, right, this is how much money I need to do this and they say well that's far too much we haven't got that so then <coughs> that's how you start you start with a negotiation about how much money you have <coughs> and then I say well okay then cut the number of costumes if you want if you want me to make 500 costumes for this much and you know this is how much it's going to cost and if you want to give me x amount of money then I'll give you 400 costumes for that what do you want to do do you want to cut the numbers or and it's always that so some jobs you know that you've got a generous budget like Cinderella or out of those, Cinderella and Hugo, the last one, had the biggest budgets. Young Victoria had a moderate budget, not huge, and Carol had a minute budget where there wasn't anything. So, yes, I mean, I cut my cloth accordingly, so to speak. I mean, um, but I wouldn't skimp on a fabric I really wanted. If I really wanted a, a fabric to make something and it was the right fabric for that costume, I would spend that money and then try and make a saving somewhere else. But budgets really, I mean, you are always, the budget is always, you have to always be thinking about the budget. And I found that was something they don't teach you at college. They didn't teach me at college. I mean, I, you know, it was, when I was at college, I was doing, we were doing projects that were sort of like design a ballet for the Royal Opera House. But no with, no, with no mention of budget or money. And then you come out of college and the first thing you have to learn is how to, how to actually do something on, you know, 20 pound budget mm. as opposed to an unlimited budget. Because it, it does... Um, it does limit you, but it also 
sometimes the constrictions are really good. Sometimes it forces you to really think about how to creatively solve that problem. And sometimes the, the cheapest things are the best. Sometimes, some of my favorite films that I've done have been the ones with the lowest, smallest budgets. I think you've got to be prepared to, um, you've got to be prepared to do anything and really start at the bottom. And I think, I think it's really crucial that you know how to make things to sew. I mean, not, in, not fantastically well, but I think you should know about how things are constructed in order to be able to communicate to people what you want. And you should, you should know that if, you, if something's been made and it's not working and it's not right, it's a good idea to know what's wrong with it. And if you, if you know how something's constructed, you have a better understanding of that, mm -hmm. rather than relying on the people who are working for you. Um, and a lot of people, I'm surprised because I've, I've done talks in colleges before where, where people have said, do you think it's a good idea I learn how to sew? And I go, yeah, so what are you doing here? I mean, I think, I think you should. I think it just really helps.